Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. of the MPC worship experience. To those of you online, thank you for joining us today. Amen. Take a moment, subscribe, like, share, send. Amen. Let's get the message out that God is good and MPC is a good place to go. Amen. You believe that today? Aren't you glad to be in a a church that loves the Lord? Amen. In so many wonderful ways. We are going to be talking about a church on fire during these 37 days of consecration. We're going to be talking about the church on fire. And specifically, we're going to be unveiling and unpacking things about the seven churches that Revelation has written to. And my family loves me, but they really love how I lay a foundation. I always am, I've been, been guilty of being told, said, Dad, if you would just quit laying a foundation and get to the point. Well, today, I can't get to the point without a foundation. If you don't understand the foundation structure and the intent and the theme of Revelation, it's going to be easy to miss the point, even to misapply Scripture. The book of Revelation, what an incredible book. Amen. So we're going to dive into this today. Today's lesson, the first one that we're talking about, is a foundation study on the seven churches on fire. Seven churches on fire. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed, somebody say, that's me. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand blessed. If we study this, we're going to be blessed. So I'm going to claim that blessing right now. Would you do that right in this place? I claim the blessing of the Lord in this place today. Lord, I thank you, God, for your divine impartation. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace. Lord, would you help us, God, in this study today? Understand, dear God, the lead-in, God, the foundation of a church on fire. We're going to give you the praise for it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got to be on fire. God bless you. You can be seated. 
we have any people in love today? Got any folks in love? All you guys should have said amen as loud as Pastor Dylan and Pastor David. What great examples. Thank you very much. Amen. All you ladies should say, whoa, do we need a marriage retreat? But love is a wonderful thing. There are some romances that are so fascinating that it captures the pages of history. There are those that are told stories and those that have folklore related to actual people. Whether we know that it's legend or not is really doesn't matter. But the story of the Bible, the telling of human history is an epic story that we find in this book from Genesis to Revelation. This book, this book is filled with suspense. You want to find a good suspense story? You'll find it here. You want to find good action? There's a lot of it in this book. You want to find some mystery? You won't, you won't have to go anywhere else. Yet the most compelling storyline of this great story the most compelling plot is a love story. A love story. Do we have any those folks that love love stories? You know, we men are 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 we 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 say we don't like those girly stories, but we do. We just hide it. Love stories. You at least like a love story. Love stories are awesome. God spoke the light and the heavens and the earth into existence. He spoke, and an innumerable number of visible animals and beings filled the sky, filled the sea, and the land. With his word, the Elohim creator painted the majestic snow-capped mountains of the Rockies and the Alps and the Andes. With his word, he created all things. Somebody say amen. With his word, Hebrews writes, he upholds all things with the word. On the sixth day, however, something amazing happened. The creator scooped up a small amount of dirt, and he created and began to form something entirely different. Heaven's angelic host paused on this day as what he was doing grabbed their attention like nothing else. From their view of heaven's balcony, they watched, stunned, watching as the Lord of glory, the king of the universe, started forming an incredible figure right before their eyes. For on this day, this sixth day of creation, God did not speak another group of creatures into existence. As a matter of fact, he didn't speak at all. He formed. He fashioned. From the dark dirt, he made man. Not a, not a creature spoken into existence, but a creature that would be modeled and formed and crafted in the very image and likeness of the Creator. Wow. One of my favorite writers and authors is Gene Edwards, and in, in one, of his, one of his books, uh, which is a powerful book if you ever get to get it, The Divine Romance, here's how he, he depicts the scene. He said, the Lord God breathed, clay nostrils quivered and flare, the wet clay fleshed, stiffened, stirred, and began to quietly breathe. 
Almost pensively, the Lord stepped back. The newest of his creation turned his head and stared for a brief moment at the panorama of celestial beings gathered about. Then in the most natural of gestures, this rogue, tinted man sat up, turned, and sincerely faced the sculptor before him. He went on to say that with that, the Lord approached the model. Again, their two faces almost touched while angels whispered, whispered their approval. What an incredible depiction of that moment where God meets the one he forms. The one that he built inside of the capacity to will and to love. No animal had that. Only this being. The angels in glory don't have that. But this being did. Why? He's creating something different, something special, a relationship that would be unlike any animal, any creature in the sea, or any creature in the sky, or any creature in the invisible world. So what did God see when he looked at this being, this man? Amen. He saw a reflection of himself. The character of an invisible God formed his essence into a visible, physical being. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, were made in the image of God because God wanted a romance. God wanted a relationship. Adam and Eve would stand in a class all by themselves. Unlike the other angels and animals, humanity had the great capacity to love his creator. Do you love your creator today? Do you love the God of glory that's, that formed man, that created our great uh, uh, father and mother, Adam and Eve? Then on the seventh day, heaven and earth rested. God reflected on all that he created and would say with a resounding uh, 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 shout, no doubt, it is good. It is good. It is good. God looked at people and said it is good. Can you imagine that today? I wonder today if he's standing on the portals of glory and he looks on the sea of eight billion people on the face of the earth and said, it is good. Because what happened is that this creator source that walked in communion with Adam and Eve in a relationship during the cool of the day, something happened that severed that. God made man with the will, God made man with the choice, and mankind chose to follow their own way rather than to obey God. They had the option to love him and live for him, but they chose a different path. God provided the first family with everything they needed. Yet Adam and Eve, we know that Eve was deceived, but Adam willfully chose the path. This, this disobedience got them kicked out of the place that God made for them. Got them kicked out of the romance relationship. If it would be the men's mindset of this world, that relationship would have been over, divorced, done, finality. God made man with the power of will, and he took that will and disobeyed. Their disobedience was nothing short of sin. Can I tell you, sin always separates you from God. Always. Always. 
That lie you think you're hiding, he knows. That thing that you think that nobody knows about or, or, or maybe everybody knows about, uh, amen, he knows. Sin kills. Sin kills things. Sin kills families. It destroys marriages. It destroys jobs. It severs communion. I spoke to Pastor Thornton just yesterday. He was telling me about going to a funeral of a 19-year-old young man who in college smoked marijuana laced with fentanyl and died. Oh, it's harmless. Sin. Sin. Flawless man was savagely broken. The image that once reflected the creator is now tainted and marred. But God had a plan. God had a plan in 3 and 15 of Genesis uh, that there would be one that would come that would destroy the works of Satan. Amen. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible is a divine romance where one party fails miserably, but the other party keeps reaching and keeps loving. Even when they turn him away, he reaches for recovery. Even when they turn him away, he says, I still love you. I'll go the distance. I have a plan for you. The name of this story of romance, if we would entitle it, it would be redemption. Somebody say redemption. This is a redemption story. Aren't you glad for a redemption story? Anybody thankful that the Lord brought you out of the miry clay and set your feet on the rock to say? Anybody thankful that he said, I'll give you a second chance uh, even though when I didn't even love him, he loved me. Even though I was uh, all messed up, he still loved me. I was a sinner, yet he loved me. Oh, I thank God that he loved me. It's redemption. It's interesting that love has limits and love drove Adam and Eve from the garden. But it would be love that would open up the gate of redemption. The same love that brought restrictions is the same love that brought access. But something had to happen. There had to be an answer. There had to be a lamb that was slain. There had to be redemption. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he offered. Amen. Can I tell you, it's a love story. Oh, I will say as the psalmist said, as the bridegroom cometh out of his chamber and rejoices a strong man to run a race, the bride showed up. Amen. There is a romance of our Lord and Savior when he arrives. The seed of the woman is going to crush Satan. That is the redemption story. Noah built an ark to the saving of his family. That is a redemption story. Abraham offering Isaac on the mount uh, 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 at the altar and God provides a ram. Amen. That's a different, that's a redemption story. Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord is a redemption story. Joseph sold into slavery, but God had other plans. A redemption story. Moses and Israel needed to get out of Egypt, go worship at Sinai, and march into their promise. Though it took them 40 years, it is still a redemption story. A Rahab, a harlot, a, a, a whore, if you please, that is on the side of the wall is revealed as a redemption story. As that wall section stands and the rest of it falls, all because she had a blood covenant 
all the lambs that were sacrificed, all the burnt offerings, all the turtle doves, all the peace offerings, all of the meat offerings, all the meal offerings, all the offerings are about the redemption story. All the multiplied days of atonement that pointed to the one that is coming with romance who has wedding in his mind, who has a bride in his mind. Hallelujah. What he says in Revelation is this. Revelation 19 and 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife have made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Amen. There is still today a wife that is making herself ready. There is still a church that is making herself ready. The story is not finished. The story has not been completed. But there will be a day when he says, come hither, like Revelation 21 and 9, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. One day, redemption story will come to a conclusion. One day, redemption story will wind up in a place called New Jerusalem before the throne of our King. As we stand before him, him in the great wedding that God has prepared for us. Never, never to leave the throne again. The word of God is abundantly clear. There's going to be a marriage of the lamb and his bride. One day there will be a great procession, a great presentation as the church in all of her redemptive glory stands before the groom united. But until then, we are imperfect church. We are a church with problems. The church has issues. The church has situations. The book of Revelation is the story of Jesus Christ and the romance that will one day be concluded. Let's look at this just a little bit further into the book of Revelation. Do you love the Lord today? He loves you, all of you. Revelation 1 and 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which should shortly come to pass and sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. Revelation stands in a class all by itself. No other New Testament book is like it. No other Old Testament book is like it. This book is not the revelation of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book, Revelation, the last book in your Bible, is about revealing who Jesus is. The book reveals the Lamb. The Lamb is a central theme. Amen. We were lost, but the Lamb, Redeemer, Redeemer paid our ransom and paved our way for salvation. The book is about Jesus Christ, not about John. Revelation is translated from the Greek word that means uncovering or unveiled or removing the covering. The book of Revelation is the unveiling or the revealing of who Jesus Christ is. Listen to this. It is not a revelation of the Antichrist. It is not a revelation of the uh, of uh, the, the judgment. It is not a revelation rather uh, of... Uh, Babylon, not a relation, revelation of the mark of the beast. It's not a revelation uh, of the false prophet. It's not a revelation of who, who that, that old mother 
uh, a whore is in the book of Revelation? It's not. A, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. They are all side stories. Amen. This book, Revelation, is not meant to be feared. It's not meant to be bit, biting your nails over and frustrated over. Amen. It is meant to say, I see Jesus in that. I see Jesus in that. I see Jesus in that. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation is not the only scriptures that are testifying of Jesus Christ. For Jesus himself said in John chapter 5 and verse 39, he told them, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And listen to what he said. They, the scriptures, are they which testify in me. He was talking about the Old Testament writers at this time. But can I tell you that it's also prophetically speaking about all scripture. It testifies of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it culminates in the greatest revelation that you and I could ever understand. It's not a revelation of the tribulation. Don't bite your nails. Don't be fearful and read. It's not even the revelation of the lake of fire of hell and fire and brimstone. And what happens to Satan? Those are all good things. But it's a revelation of Jesus Christ and redemption concluded. Revelation then is designed to be a blessing as is stated is a blessing. Somebody say it's a blessing. Anybody ever get bogged down in Revelation? I have. I still do. I don't understand it all. I'll get all the charts out and one day I'm going to find out the Lord's going to say, when you figure it out, let me know. Who wrote the book of Revelation? Everybody say John the Beloved. But John is writing as Revelation comes from God through an angel. For it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show his servants, which things must come shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified by his angel unto the servant John. God gave him. Somebody says, it's God given. God showed. God showed. It's God revealed. It's God sent, and God signified it. Amen. In his commentary, Bishop points out this. The book of Revelation is the only book of the New Testament which Jesus gives his endorsement and affixes his own signature. Let that sink in. He states at its close in 22 and 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for Revelation. When you look at the book, it begins like other epistles with a salutation. It begins like Paul's epistles, Paul's letter to, to the church at Rome, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, Paul's letter to the other churches, or, or Peter when he writes to, to the Hebrews, or James when he writes to the Hebrews or the Jews. It begins with a salutation. And this is what John starts off with in verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Right off the bat, we know who he's talking to, don't we? And then he says, grace be unto you and peace. That very phrase is a revelation of Christ. It's not just simply, hello. It's not just simply, hey, let's get started with this. How y'all doing? Greetings and salutations. No, no, no. It is a revelation that grace and peace are attributes of Christ. 
from him which is and was and which is to come. Somebody say revelation. He is deity and omnipotence. Amen. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And from the seven spirits. The seven spirits don't trip over that because it literally speaks about because seven is very key. All the way through the book of Revelation, you will find seven mentioned repeatedly. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to list them, but just, just, just know this. Seven is a very important thing because it speaks of the perfection of God. What is the book of Revelation? The perfection of redemption. The conclusion of redemption. And so around the throne, the one that sits upon the throne is the king of kings and lord of lords. And it speaks about the perfection. I wish somebody to shout today. There is perfection around the throne. There is perfection that God has planned for you. God has planned perfection for your church. Woo! Praise be to God. I'm about to get lit. Praise God. Sorry. Where are my punters? Which is before the throne. That means he's sovereign, he's king, his power. And, somebody say and, from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. He's talking about what he's greeting them with, the truth and reliability. And the first begotten of the dead, he's greeting them with the attributes of Christ, the revelation of Christ, whose life and resurrection, and the prince of the kings of the earth, the preeminent one, the one that is above all, unto him that loved us. The revelation of the divine romance is right here. Under the one that loved us. Under the one that loved dust and washed in his own blood. Amen. There is a revelation right here of redemption. He has a divine romance and he provides for us redemption. And he's made us kings and priests. I want to stop right here. He's, he's made us kings and priests. Just leave it up. Can I just tell you when you begin to study this verse of scripture where it says he's made us kings and priests. The actual rendering is that he's made us royal priest. There's not a one of us that's a king. There's only one king. We're not even little K king. I don't care what the kingdom dominion people teach and preach. We're not little kings. We are part of a royal lineage of priest, go-betweens. That's what we're, we're royal bridge builders, if you please. I'll leave that at that. But uh, I just wanted to get that clarified with you from the very beginning. Uh, made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Boy, that throws a monkey wrench at a lot of theology, doesn't it? God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Man, those verses are packed full of some powerful truth. When we begin to look at this book, let's, let's talk about some background of this book, the backdrop of this book. The whole book is written to the seven churches in Asia, not just first, the first three chapters. The whole book is written to these seven churches. It was a letter, an epistle, if you please, that was going to be going to these churches and Unlike what we have today, we can send a text, we can send an email. They'd have to take the letter from church to church to church to church, from circuit to circuit, amen. And they were strategic churches and places in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, in case you wanted to know. It's not for just church leadership either. 
The letter was not just for the preachers, the pastors, the elders, and the bishops. But he said, I want you to go show all the servants of the Lord what is coming. Somebody say, that's everybody. That's you. That's all of us. In Texas, say, that's all y'all. That's a good word right there. I'm so glad that Siri understands y'all. It's not just for leadership, it's for everybody. This book was written, get this, it's very important that you get these things. Amen, if you're taking notes, would to goodness that you were. It was written somewhere around 95 A.D. 95 A.D. That's important because it was written 65 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is written in such a way. Matter of fact, we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we think that they all were written right at one time. No, they weren't. Much of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written around somewhere around 60, somewhere, give or take, a little bit around 60 A.D., and then John comes along after that and begins to write somewhere from 90 to 95. He writes his gospel, and, and some believe that he writes his gospel before he goes to Patmos. Others believe that he writes his epistles after he goes to Patmos. But somewhere between the year 90 and 95, a long time after Matthew is already five, a long already written his book, a long time after, after Mark has written his book, a long time after Luke has written his book, and it's familiar to the churches, then John comes along and he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can I tell you, if you don't understand the book of John, it, it's such an incredible story. The first 11 chapters deal with about a year to up into the second year of Christ's ministry. The first 11 chapters from chapter 12 all the way to the end of the book deals with one week. Whoo! It's, it's sometimes we need to sit back and understand these things because then it becomes the fact that it is John that talks about the deity of Christ. It talks about the incarnation of Christ. It is John that said the word was made flesh. It is John that magnifies everything. Amen. I want to tell you today that God put his book together in an amazing way. John was exiled on the desolate island of Patmos when this book, Revelation, was written. At this time, now, the life expectancy of people in that day was 55 years. John, at this time, is, Brother Keith, 90 years old on an island, a desolate island, a gnarly island. Look at pictures of it. It's just nothing but ugly. He's there, and he's getting this revelation Amen. The whole book of Revelation comes to him as a letter to the churches. John, the beloved, look at verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. But he's the last living apostle, the last living disciple that saw Jesus and communed with Jesus and God kept him alive because he had a book for him to write. 
the, uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs says that Tertullian writes and says that, that uh, the Roman emperor put John into a vat of boiling water because he didn't like that he preached all the time about Jesus and he wanted to shut him up. Uh, amen. And it is reported that he threw him into that vat of water, or, or boiling oil rather, a boiling oil, and he threw him into that and he didn't cu- uh, stop preaching. He just kept on preaching. He just kept on giving the testimony of Jesus Christ until finally the emperor takes him out. He didn't kill him. Amen. He kept on preaching. And the emperor says, in essence, I can't kill you. I've got to, I've got to put you in exile in a place called Patmos. Mm. John, this apostle, is a unique man. He accepted his calling and laid down his fishing business and followed Jesus. This is the disciple that leaned on the bosom of the Lord. And then we find him another place laying at his breast. It was this disciple at the crucifixion standing beneath the cross where Jesus said, John, will you take care of my mom? John, will you take care of my mom? And many believe, historians believe that he took care of Mary until she died. And God kept John alive. Why? He had a book to write. He had a book to write about the conclusion of redemption. John, he's the one that was there when the Pentecostal message was preached. John accompanied Peter to heal the lame man in Acts chapter 3. John was jailed with Peter in Acts 4. Peter and John were sent by the other apostles to investigate the Samaritan revival. It is John that has an exciting, wonderful ministry. But they put him on Patmos. Lonely, barren, rocky, volcanic, sun-scorched island in the Aegean Sea, some 70 miles from the southwest of Ephesus, the city which John had been living and ministering in for some years. Can I also tell you that Timothy was a pastor at Ephesus? But while he's in Patmos, Patmos means the place of my killing. Patmos literally means the place of my killing. If you go to the root word, it comes from the root word, which means to be crushed or squeezed. No wonder John would say, I'm your companion in tribulation. I am in the place of my killing. But it is in the place of his killing that something takes place. Can I tell you, you and I need to learn a message from this. And that is in our place of killing. It is our place of pressure. It is the place of our greatest destitution and our greatest need is when God can show up in a great way. Would you stand to your feet right now and give God praise. Come on and give God praise right now. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Revelation 1 and 10. John, in this place of killing, said, I was in the Spirit. Revelation 1 and 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. John, on the Isle of Patmos, no doubt by himself besides all the other junk thieves that were around him, he said, I found a way to get in the spirit. What's my excuse? I'm not in Patmos. What's your excuse? You're not in Patmos. 
Well, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my pressure is. Throw yourself on Patmos with John, 90 years old, having to lay on the ground, having to fend for food, how to get by, barely get by, and dealing with a bunch of, of, of mean, rotten, uh, 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 <clears throat> incarcerated uh, jailbirds. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell you what John did. He found a way to get the Spirit of the Lord. I'm telling you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how bad it is right now, you have the choice of either being an on-fire child of God or dying on your Patmos. You have the choice of either saying, I will rise and I'll find a way to get into the presence of the Lord. I'll find a way to get into the Spirit of God. Quit belly aching about your problem and go visit John. Thank you. It's my amen right over there. Praise God. There's another one. Hallelujah. I'll take all of them. I will take all of them. There's going to be times when you don't have music to move you. That's right. There'll be, there'll be times when you won't have a preacher to inspire you. There'll be times you won't have a padded pew to sit on. And this heat works, y'all. There, won't be time, there will be times when, when, when you don't have any MPC choir to light your fire. No bishop to stir you. No pastor to stir you. No Pastor Dylan or Pastor David to preach to you. No prayer warrior around you. No one to hear your prayer request. It really is unspoken then. <laughs> I'll let that hit. No camps, no conferences, no conventions. No internet. No live stream. Alone. If you want to know what it takes to be on fire, you have to be willing to find that place with God where I will be in the Spirit no matter what. It'd be in my home, it'd be in my car, it'd be in my church, be on my job. I'm going to find a way. Boy, I can't get off of this. I got a whole lot more to preach, but I can't get off of this. Amen. Excuses need to die today. Excuses need to die today. Amen. Because it's important in this hour. You think that you and I are going to survive the oncoming Antichrist spirit that is going to come to us? Amen. But there's going to be somebody that you can boil them in oil. They're going to keep on preaching. You can put somebody on a, a Patmos Island and they're going to keep on preaching. Because John later says, the reason I'm here is for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What he said, I didn't shut up. I kept on preaching. And he writes the entire book of Revelation, not just the first three chapters, but the entire book of Revelation is written as an epistle, a letter to the churches. In verse 11, he says, Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega. Somebody say Revelation. Revelation. The first and the last. Revelation. What thou seest, write in a book and send it into the seven churches which are in Asia. Then he lists them, Ephesus. And Smyrna, Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicean. If you went out and put that graphic up for me, I want to show you just a little map 
Praise God. There it is. Of the seven churches. You will see that a little dot, Patmos, is just there in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Just a dot. The closest one is Ephesus. And if you could take a little journey from Ephesus to Smyrna, all the way up to Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, almost like a, 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 a you, if you please, that your journey would take you. One thing that is incredibly powerful about these, these, these churches is they were churches. They're not some kind of figment of imagination. They had elders in these churches. They were a local assembly. So baloney to all these people that said we don't need local assemblies. In the Greek, that's belogna. But we have all these people that, 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 you know, churches are not important. Your local church. I look at these two young folks here to visit me today. I said, your pastor know you're here? Yes. Good, because I'll call him. No, I trust you. It's local churches with pastors and elders and government and the truth. Wow. Real churches having real issues. <clears throat> just leave that up for just a minute, if you would, please. Jesus presents his intimate view of this churches that he loves, and then there is the overall church that they're a part of. We have a local assembly, then we have the overall church. Amen. The love that Jesus has for his church went from Calvary to Pentecost to the present. To right now, he loves this church. He loves the church. He has not given up on the church. He's given up on some people, but not the church. Each letter that is presented before us as we will study shares a common structure. Jesus says to each church, I know thy works. He paints a particular picture of three different assessments, and it's called different things, and we may even shift them as we go into our study, but he gives, he reveals a presentation to each church, he reveals a problem or potential problem to each church, and then he gives a promise to every church. Can I tell you, every church on fire, the Lord has a message to, a presentation to give, a problem to diagnose, and a promise to give. Even to a church that will be celebrating 109 years. The Lord wants you to know we got some problems. We've got some issues. We got some things that he wants to work out. Otherwise, we would be at Revelation 20 and 21 already. But we got some things to work out. And until then, he said, I've got a solution for you. I've got a promise for you. I've got a principle for you that will help you overcome your problem. Because one day redemption will be concluded. But until then, he needs a church on fire. Right. Not a church wallowing in pity and victimized mentality. Right. But let me just say this. Hear me if you miss all the foundation stuff so far. God's not afraid his church is going to fail. 
God is not sitting in heaven right now, twiddling his thumbs and saying, oh, this, 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 this end time church, man, it's a mess. No, he said, I'm coming back for a glorious church. I'm not coming back for an anemic, weak, amen, jellyfish backbone, don't have a conscience, don't have convictions, don't have a prayer life, don't want to be on fire. I'm coming back for a church that hath made herself ready, amen, whose robes are spotless. Oh, we're not there yet, but it might be tomorrow that he says, come up hither. It might be next week when he says, I wish I had somebody that understand that the rapture is coming quickly. He wants a church on fire. But until then, my heart will go on singing. We'll go. We have people in this church over the years that have died and gone on. This redemption concluded. But they're on the other side now. And they're in the heavenly stands saying, Come on, church. Come on, you can make it. Come on, just a little, little bit further. Lay aside this weight and put aside that sin. Stop this and run. Amen. Because you are running to Revelation 20 and 21. Hebrews 10 and 10. God has no fear of his church failing because his sacrifice works. Look at this. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Finito. Conclusion. End. Once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. That story has now been fulfilled in the one. Then look at verse 12. I love this. But this man. But this man. But this Messiah. But this king. Woo! Hallelujah. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, set down at the right hand on the authority of God, from henceforth expecting, listen to this, expecting. If you got that in your Bible, you ought to underline it. You ought to highlight it. Expecting. He is not going to, this church is not going to fail because he's expecting. He's expecting to put his enemies, amen, under his feet and make them his footstool. Somebody needs to know this is not a church that's going down. There may be churches closing doors, but the church will go on, amen, and he will have a church on fire. In the middle of apostasy, he'll have a church on fire. Will we be that church? Let me quickly, I'm going to run through this quickly. Go through each church and show you what I'm talking about, the problem and the promise. Ephesus, their problem was they left their first love. But the promise was, in Revelation 2 and 7, he that hath an ear, somebody say condition, on fire is conditional. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. 
will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's the promise. The problem with Smyrna is that they had fear. They had fear that paralyzed them. But the promise was found in verse 11 of chapter 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Somebody say, that sounds familiar. He begins each letter with, I know your works. And he ends with each letter with, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. If there ever was a time we needed to have spiritually tuned, sensitive ears, it is now. Because there is deception afoot. There is the enemy that is trying his best to deceive as a wolf in sheep's clothing. But we are led as lambs to the slaughter, but not without clarity. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. My, that's so deep, we'll get to it. Pergam. Their problem is they had an identity problem because they asked that they held on to the doctrine of Balaam. And this was the promise in verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I'll give him a white stone and a stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, say he that receiveth. That's what happens when you become a church on fire. You hear the Spirit, and you get the promise. Thyatara, their problem was they had false authority. Notwithstanding, the Lord said, I have a few things against thee because you have suffered the woman Jezebel. They had a problem with the Jezebel spirit. Thyatara did. In Revelation, it tells us in 2 and 26, their promise, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, I will give him power over the nations. They had a problem with authority, and the Lord said, if you'll overcome, I'll give you authority. And he shall rule with them with a rod of iron as the vessels of potter and shall be broken to shivers. Amen. Even as I receive my father, I will give him the morning. And then he concludes with, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says in the churches. To Sardis, they had a problem. They had a lack of spiritual sensitivity. They had life, but they were really a corpse. Wow. And the Lord said, here's your promise. If you'll overcome, the same shall be clothed with white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says in the churches. To Philadelphia, their problem was that they had a tendency to be discouraged. Not very major compared to some of the others. And the Lord said, here's your promise. Revelation 3, 12, him that overcometh will I make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall no more go out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God and I will write upon him my new name and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. This is what it takes to be a church on fire. Address the issue, deal with the issue and then overcome lastly Laodicea their problem is they were lukewarm and self enthroned but the promise was this 3 and 21 to him that overcometh will I grant him to sit with me in my throne you got a problem of being self enthroned if you'll overcome 
and be a church on fire, I'll put you with me and my throne. Praise God. A church that is on fire is a church that's overcoming. A church that is on fire may have problems, but they listen to the Spirit and overcome. God loves us so much. Isn't it amazing that he even calls some of these a church? They had such issues, but he knew what was in them. A church on fire is a church that listens to the Spirit. Here's what we're looking for today. We're looking for Revelation 20 and 21. But until that day, Lord, work on me. Set me afire. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, work on me. Set me afire. Lord, let me overcome. Overcome what? That problem that so easily besets me. Lord, let me overcome and not excuse my issues. But Lord, let me conquer these issues by your power. It's by your spirit. Anybody want to be on fire today for God? Anyone really want to be on fire with the Lord today? Would you just come to the altar? Will you come to the altar, please? Come to this area. Squeeze your way in. Pack it in today. Amen. We are going to pray, and God is going to move. We are going to ignite something this morning that's not only going to carry for the next few days of consecration, but it's going to carry us into the next year of revival. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Many of you don't even know who Brother Barry Hill was. But Brother Barry Hill was an evangelist that used to come here many, many times throughout the years. He's already dead and gone on now to be with the Lord. But he would do this thing. He would say, draw a circle right around you. Anybody remember that? Can you do that with me? Draw a circle right around you. Draw a circle just in your mind. If you have to do like me and take a finger and and make an imaginary line. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that that circle where that is, that the one standing in that circle would get on fire. That that person would become alive. That that person would overcome. Hallelujah, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know I have Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.